0: Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months to Two Man Advantage, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. Well, the campaign is coming to a close, so we want to finish strong, and so do you when it comes to getting great tickets at a great price. GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then, under the Billings section, redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's the Athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last minute tickets. Hey everybody, it's Scott Burnside, Two Man Advantage, and if you've been listening to our podcasts over recent weeks, Pierre Lebrun and I have waxed poetic on the Winter Classic, and uh, neither Pierre nor myself will be in Dallas on January 1st at the Cotton Bowl, sadly, because it will be an epic event so happy for both those franchises, Nashville and the Dallas Stars, to be included in the uh, 2020 Winter Classic. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a presence podcast-wise relating to the Winter Classic in Dallas this year. In fact, Bob Sturm, a man larger than life in Dallas was able to host a get-together with Sean Shapiro, my pal, uh, from Dallas Days, the athletic Dallas Stars beat writer, and Adam Vingett from the National Predator, Predators coverage for The Athletic, all of them getting together in Dallas to set up what should be an epic day of hockey at the Cotton Bowl. I think you should give it a listen. It's going to be terrific. And uh, enjoy it.
1: radio with sort of formatics and things i'm supposed to say so i really don't know even what we're calling this but this sort of a uh winter classic panel there (laughs) how about that really official sounding uh with all your friends here from the athletic dfw and the athletic in general in fact uh uh, let's uh, introduce our panel here and we can extend all the way to The Nashville office and uh, and parts in between. Uh, Down there, uh, to my very left, Sean's on my left. Adam is on my very left. It's Adam Bingen. Yes, covers pretty good, right? For my first try, that was good. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I see a
2: lot of Predators fans here. Good representation. Thanks for coming.
1: Absolutely. So uh, Adam is here, of course, uh, with the Preds, and then with the Stars is uh, our very own Sean Shapiro right there in the middle.
3: Thank you everyone for coming out.
1: And uh I am merely Bob and uh thank you for coming out here as well. I uh for some reason am on the Winter Classic panel because I'm a hockey enthusiast. But uh <laughs> but uh, these guys here are uh, the guys uh, who are uh slated to cover the team in great detail, teams in great detail uh, all season long. So uh these are your true hockey wise men. I'm just the guy who uh, sits in the crowd and uh, likes to see the red light go on at times. But, but anyway, enough about me. So, gentlemen, here we are. Uh, the the buildup has been uh, going for quite some time now. It's, it's finally here. It obviously is a little weird in terms of how it falls in the middle of a bunch of other events and uh, very important games being played as, uh, as recently as yesterday. But uh, it is what it is, imperfect, but yet great, we assume. So uh, where are we all at on this thing mentally?
3: Well, um, I guess I'll start. I mean, obviously, we are in the – it's December, so the stars are dramatic, pretty much. Yeah, it's It's uh, that time of year. It's that time of year. We were – I think it was uh, two days – no, yesterday. It was a one-year anniversary of some fun conversations we've all had. That's what (laughs) Um, –
1: they uh, interrupted last year's vacation quite well. So, for, the, uh, for those who take vacation during the middle of the season, Sarah.
3: Uh, obviously, the Stars we're still kind of in the fallout mode of the kind of stunning coaching change from a little over two weeks ago now. And it's kind of uh, – it led to kind of some up and down where obviously the Stars went to Florida and had one of probably the worst – honestly, one of the worst stretches of two games they've had all year. They, even though they did win one of those games because of Anton Hudobin. The overall play was probably one of the worst two games. And then they come out of that break, and there's. Uh, are we all good here? It looks like we're working on some. No,
2: just amping it up. Okay. Getting you a beer. Good,
3: good, good. <laughs> um, and then they come out of that break, and things are seem to be a little more positive, obviously, after the, uh, particularly in that third period in Arizona the other night. Um, so the stars are in that spot where they're dramatic, but competitive. And uh, I guess, uh, what about Nashville right now?
2: I think I probably speak for all of the Predators fans sitting here that this year's team is very confusing. Um, Just to give a recent example, um, they lost that game to the Stars in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. It was non-competitive. I got married that day. (laughs) so i wasn't watching Whoa. it my wife okay. is over there wave bridget there she is wow she loves the attention so I'll just give it to her please um it was a, it was a planned wedding Yeah, it was a planned wedding so from what i saw it was just non- a
1: <laughs> surprise wedding just out of nowhere no no
2: it was a non it was non-competitive from what i saw from the second period on um and the team used it as a quote-unquote wake-up call they end up Uh, earning points in five consecutive games going 4-0-1, including victories against the Boston Bruins on the road and at home against Arizona. Then they come out of this past Christmas break and lose consecutive games to Pittsburgh. Um, The one in Nashville uh, was a bit of a laugher. Uh, The one in Pittsburgh started such a way. The Predators ended up tying the game after being down 4-1 and lost on the goal with a minute left. And lost 6-4. So, you know, this team has been up and down. It's hard to trust them every time it appears they've turned that proverbial corner. And I think this game on Wednesday is comes at a critical juncture for the Predators. I mean, we're approaching the midway point of the season. You know, they're not, they're really not in a bad space, excuse me, in a bad position Standings wise, they're just outside. I think they're two or three points out of the second wild card, but they have games in hand on the teams in front of them. Of course, they only matter if you win them. Uh, but you know, this is an opportunity for the Predators to be on a national stage. The only game on that day, and I really do think that this is an opportunity for the Predators to show the league at large, many you know, an audience that doesn't see them regularly, what they truly are and if they play the way they've been playing lately and do not have a good game, if they have a game against Dallas, like they did a couple of weeks ago, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, So I I really do believe that this, this game, you know, it's, it's hard to put importance on a regular season game. I know it's the winter classic, but it is a game in early January, but it does feel like a a critical uh, point for the predators.
1: Uh, It feels, it feels like with both teams, My observation, I guess I have one for for each of you. Uh, First with you, Sean, I might say the Christmas break was really important for the stars to just get away from the drama and kind of clear their heads and maybe a little time away. And it just kind of kind of allowed a little bit of an emotional reset, because for whatever reason, this organization insists on putting them through a little bit of an emotional ringer as often as possible.
3: Yeah, the uh the winter break there for the stars, there's the holiday break for the winter, for the stars, there's kind of a two part to it. There's one, the players you think about the what happened with the coaching change and everything like that. That happened one morning, then they're playing a game that night. And, right. and yes, they did have a day or two after that before the next game, but can you really assess and diagnose where everything is if you're that's your place of employment? And in in that quick of a scenario, in a situation. So I think for the players, it was huge to be able to kind of step away and look at where they are and kind of, kind of just get a feel for where you are personally, just because that's something that I don't think they really had that opportunity. You go from coach getting fired. Yeah, there's a day off, but you just played a game the night before. And then you go into another game and a practice. So to have an actual time where you can stop and clear your head, think the next day and, and then have another the stars also took Monday off as well. So they kind of had a four day break. That was huge for the players to kind of clear things. And then I think the other thing that we just saw out of that was this coaching staff needed that break to realize who they were as a coaching right. staff. Because if you wake up at 7am in the morning and get told you're an NHL head coach, when you had no idea you were going to be an NHL head coach, when you went to bed the night before, are you going to run things the right way? And it, Coming out, you can make the strong case the Stars didn't run things the right way before the Christmas break. They they switched things up. They had Rick Bonus went from running the defense to running the forwards. He's still running the forwards, but now after he kind of took that holiday break as a chance to look and say, okay, I need to stay involved with this penalty kill. When I was running this penalty kill, it was one of the best in the NHL. So I need to go back to run that meeting. John Stevens had run the pre-scout for the entire season. Why did we have him stop running the pre-scout just because he's now calling who comes in and out on defense? So... The fact the coaching staff was able to kind of use that break to kind of sit back and say, okay, we need to look at what worked and what didn't because we've been running 100 miles a minute since uh, since the firing. We can finally kind of acknowledge what works and what doesn't. I think that was huge for the coaching staff. And the uh, whether they won the two games coming out of the break, they're obviously in a position where, they have a chance to really make up for those kind of those struggles right after the coaching change. And that break, it was, it was needed for the stars and came at a perfect time. Like,
1: yeah, it, it's, if nothing else, they're getting good at dealing with crisis is crises, whatever the plural for crisis is crisis crisis is, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Adam, uh, you know, obviously, I'm doing this a little more from afar, going thinking back to the last year in the playoff series between these two teams that kind of set the table for this, but but also just knowing what Nashville is as an organization and how they've... It, it, it feels like their life cycle, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's in any way nearing its conclusion, but you do get to a point where with a coach and with a bunch of uh, uh, iterations of a team's evolution you get to a point where like are we out are we are we running out of answers and, and in particular the thought would be uh trying to enhance the forward scoring load of course and then you still look and it's it's still defensemen leading the the way and and, and now adding duchene and of course there's been a number of cases of that over the years are is how much frustration is is going on inside that organization in terms of it you know Obviously, the two most important things in hockey, putting the puck in the net and keeping it out of your own, and neither are going particularly well, it seems like, on a
2: regular basis. Well, at the beginning of the season, the Predators were scoring five or six goals a game. It certainly seemed like that. You know, the the game they played, I think it was their third or fourth game of the season. They beat Washington in Nashville 6-5. It was this crazy game. You know, from a goals per game standpoint, they're still one of the best teams in the league, but. You know, they're certainly outperforming expectations if you look at the fancy stats, as I like to call them. But, you know, (laughs) one one of the primary issues, and there are a few, but perhaps the the most surprising this season is how bad the goaltending has been. Right. Um, Because the goaltending, goaltending is the great equalizer. I mean... You look at the Winnipeg Jets, for example. You know, for all intents and purposes, that team should not be where are they third place in the Central yeah, they, Division they right not now. Be in that spot right Connor now. Hellebuck yeah. is playing himself into a Vezina Trophy. He's basically carrying them into a playoff spot. Now, Pekarene has done that many times That's in right. his NHL career, but you know, I've written about it twice in the past week. You know, by all intents and purposes, their tandem is one of the worst in the NHL. By multiple measures very surprising and it is very surprising and that isn't to say that it's all on them of course mistakes happen the team in front of them might make a mistake but this, those momentum shifting saves the cleaning up the messes that hasn't happened as much this year and, and i think that's where part of the reason why you see the predators where they are and you're right they made the decision this summer to basically swap pk suban for matthew shane because right. they knew they needed help up front and, you know, Roman Yossi is having an incredible season, and he leads the team in points. I, I don't believe they have a forward who has 30 points. Um, and Not that the stars have tons. I mean, no, but <laughs> forwards they might, are supposed to score goals. <laughs> forwards are supposed to score goals. And this team has been relatively healthy. I think in terms of man games lost, they're one of the healthiest teams in the league this year. I mean, they just missed Victor Arvidsson for a month. But other than that, you know, Forsberg missed a couple weeks. Granlin missed a couple games. But... You know, it's really hard to put your finger on why this team is the way it is, and the easy answer most of the time among fans when things aren't going well is to look at the coaching staff. Yeah, and and I do believe that you know, last year when the Predators made a decision—not that it was not a surprising decision at all—to retain their entire coaching staff, there was certainly some pressure put on them externally to show that they, you know, belong to you know they they were they earned the right to come back and. I think what you're seeing right now is perhaps a breach of that trust from the fan base. Um, I I think a lot of people and maybe I'm speaking for some of the people in here are not happy with Peter Laviolette right now. Um, And I'm not an X's and O's guy, so I can't break down every little thing that's happening, but something about this team, particularly on offense seems stale to me just Uh by watching it. And, you know, their defensive play has been really good this year. I mean, the goalies, as I mentioned, have not been playing up to that. But in terms of preventing quality, they're one of the best teams in the league. So, it, it like I said, it's a very confusing team. And you mentioned, you know, the idea of a life cycle, a window, championship yeah. window, so to speak. And they've done a ton of winning. They've yeah. done a ton of winning in the last couple of years. But, you know, Pecorine is 37. His contract expires at the end of next season. He'll be 39 at that point. Um, they have a lot of money and a lot of years tied up into players who are exiting their primes. A lot of players in their late 20s, entering 30, you know, from Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne to Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi, Kyle Turris. So it does seem as if, though, this team's window is very small. It may be this year or next year um, before something drastic has to happen. But you know it it really is hard i've been trying all year to kind of figure out what the issue is and i can't quite put my finger on it so yeah
1: and, and i think for both teams that's part of playing in this division right because uh it doesn't take more than a week or two of poor play to 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 start wondering are, are you on the outside looking in and when you figure st louis and colorado uh you know now you feel like these two teams might be playing for a playoff spot against each other in many yeah. respects i mean it's 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 like we said this. Uh, you know, it feels like a decade ago talking about the impossibilities of this division with you know Chicago on top, and they're always going to be you know now it's it's flipped, but it's still the same problem. There are too many good teams in the same division to give you any sense of comfort at the thirty or forty or fifty game mark. No yeah. such thing.
3: Well, yeah, and you look at this division too, where you look at teams that are you've got everyone is in some sort of window. I mean, Chicago's out of a window. Minnesota has been playing probably above what you would have expected for them, actually. I don't like, really they, feel that
2: like they have a window. No, yeah. Like they're that's, like that's, a windowless that's, team. That's, that's <laughs>
3: definitely fair. Yes. but
2: It's as- hard to peg them, a, a, too.
3: Aside from those two teams, you could make a case for a window for almost every team in this division. You yes. look at, for example, Colorado is a team where you look at that core and you look at what's coming there and you look, okay, that's a window that's... That's feels, a, that, that's feels a, that, that feels like a long window. Yeah. And you take a look at the the stars, and it's a team that feels like they're kind of in the weird meshing of two different windows, right? right you right. have the sagan jamie Ben window plus the Miro Heshkin, and rupe Hintz window where they're kind of colliding at once. Yeah. And um, Nashville's kind of in the, I guess... I don't even I, you'd be the best to define what it's, that it,
2: window is. It's like, it, it's, it's like, interesting that you mention you know the Jamie Ben Tyler Sagan yeah. window and the and the Heiskanen window because the Predators don't really have that. Like, I mean, maybe it's the Philip Forsberg Victor but, Arvidsson window, but they're still in their mid mid to you know late twenties. Like, but, they, there's not that yeah you know younger the teenage yeah. 20, 21 year old on the team. That's going to lead the charge. I mean. Well, we really don't know what to do with it here. Right. I mean, it,
1: it, <laughs> it was about 20 years between having young, promising 20 and 21 year olds. And now there's three of them. Yeah. You know, which is mm-hmm. it's yeah, well, big a uh, surprise to us. Uh, as our, our,
2: our colleague James Myrtle does a story every year where he looks at the, you know, the biographical data of every team. And mm-hmm. according to his data, and I ended up writing more about it a few months ago, the Predators are the oldest team in the league by average age. And if I'm remembering this correctly, they only have one player at that time, at least on the opening night roster. They had one player under the age of 24 on the roster. UC UC Saros is 24. Dante Faber, who I believe is 21, was the only player under 24 on the opening night roster. Wow. So, I mean, that, you know, and and that average is skewed a bit because they have Pecorino, who's 37 and Mm -hmm. former Dallas Stars. Dan Ham-Hughes, uh, you know, who's also up there in age, which kind of are the outliers. Yeah. Yeah. stars legend. Yeah, yeah he stars legend. He, I don't yeah. know if you saw it. He took a puck to the face the other night. Oh. No. You know, had to wear I, – I was not at practice today because I was obviously here, but he wore a, a cage at practice today. So maybe he'll suck it up and play, yeah. but not – I say suck it up. If I took a puck to the face, I'd be <laughs> yeah. in intensive care for weeks. But, uh, we're all very uh,
1: good from here. No, but we're all anyway. very
2: tough. I mean,
3: the one thing that Nashville does have in that regard, though, is they have that air apparent clear in goal. So
2: we, is, you think so. You, you, yeah, yes, you think but, so.
3: But it's in the NHL already. Yes. Like, there's lots of teams like the Stars. Obviously, the Stars have – there is Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin right now, and there's a strong belief that they have the next guy, but there's no proof – of NHL right. life, like at least Nashville has at this point.
2: Right. So, I mean, at least they have, you know, a young netminder in UC Soros who's been in the NHL for a couple of years who has shown to be capable of playing. But it goes back to what I was saying about the goaltending. You know, he you know, he uh, has had his struggles. He, I think he's been worse than Pekka this year. He had You know, it was weird because Pekka started off really well. He was eight zero and 2 to start the season. So he started off really well and then has been plunging. While UC dug himself a really a hole really early in the season has been sort of digging himself out of it. But, you know, they have, I think, if my math is right, they have evenly split the last 18 starts. Um, you know, earlier, it was right after, I think it was right before Thanksgiving, UC Sorrow started three consecutive games for the Predators. It was the first time that, Pekka started but did not excuse me, dressed but did not start in at least three consecutive games in almost eleven years. Wow. wow. So that was so that was a, a, a noteworthy moment. And they sort of gone back and forth. I would expect Pekka to play on Wednesday because this is a, a monumental game for the franchise and you know he's their face of the franchise.
1: Okay, well let's let's see if we can transition into the game itself. Uh just because I think the talking points outside the game are really interesting uh not necessarily the head-to-head matchup but whatever i mean we can throw it open to, to questions from the audience here momentarily but let me just start with the overall positioning statement that i kind of thought an outdoor game was here was a weird idea i'll i'll, I'll confess to uh being a uh a uh, wisconsinite who uh is familiar with the concepts of snow and winter and so forth now i live down here and I don't want to move back. So I want to be very clear <laughs> that I like snow on TV, okay? So I, I, I really like the concept. I just don't like uh, the functionality of snow in my life. Regardless, it seemed really weird to do it here, and I realized Dodger Stadium and blah, blah, blah. Where are you guys on that in particular? Just the overall premise of the Cotton Bowl, us all freaking out about the forecast, the direct sun. Is it going <laughs> to rain a little bit? Just all the things that yeah. go into this. Will it be a, a legitimate ice surface? Will we see legitimate National Hockey League hockey? Uh, I, I'm not even positive which of you two I'm asking directly, but <laughs> but let's, let's talk yeah. about this as sort of, let's just all be real here. Everybody wants it to be successful. Where's your confidence level on that happening?
3: Well, there is ice. on um, There is an ice surface there now.
1: Um, it's all theoretical. I, I know, but there's also a
3: mechanical bull out there, too, which is <laughs> something I've never seen.
2: Right. I'm looking f- forward to the sword yeah. swallowing during yeah. the second intermission, yes. personally, um, more than Dan and Shay. Get a it, corn dog.
3: <laughs> it is a – so I, I think there is still a fair to wonder about that ice until we get to it, yeah. just because it's – it rained pretty bad the other day. There was some melting. They had to rebuild ice, and so um, there is definitely kind of um, those challenges that the ice surface building team has dealt with, probably that they didn't deal with last year in South Bend when the game was at Notre
1: Dame. They must be getting good at it.
3: Yes. No. They. 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 they it's the same team that built the ice in LA, and so I have. I don't have any. I don't have any doubt that the game will go on and the ice will be fine. Uh, even if the ice is bad, it's still going to be good by general right. comparison. We wouldn't be able
1: to tell. Yes, really. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah.
3: But um, I, I think the – I do think for the Winter Classic in general, um, the this event needed – whether now, this didn't have to be in the Cotton Bowl. It didn't have to be in Dallas. But this event itself needed something of that curiosity it hadn't had before. I mean, even myself, I was as someone who watches a ton of hockey – even when I'm just as, as, a, as a hockey fan, when outdoor games have just kind of grown a bit stale. Like, right. okay, seeing the Blackhawks play in their fourth outdoor game. I am seeing, imagining
2: the Blackhawks are going to swoop in <laughs> on an F-16 <laughs> before puck drop and to just parachute down onto the ice. There,
3: there is an outdoor uh, USHL game on Friday featuring the team from Chicago. Okay, good. Partial credit. We weren't able to go <laughs> an entire week without a Chicago team playing an Thank outdoor goodness. game. But <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, I, I, I think the... This out the outdoor game and the winter classing in general, it needed kind of it needed some of that new life. Whether it was kind of taking a team that had been in and a newer team or going to a new market, whatever it needed, it needed something like that to make people actually want to watch. I think as far as a viewership um, and obviously from a ticket sales standpoint, it's been tremendous. We've yes. got 84,000 sold, I think 20,000 over from Nashville. Obviously we have people here at this event in Dallas all coming down from Nashville, which is crazy for me to think about right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so obviously the, uh, <laughs> be nice. So obviously the event on the ground has worked. Um, I think the big question is, will people tune in? Right. And, 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 Will NBC see this as a success? Obviously, the Dallas Stars, the Nashville Predators, the ticket sales—they'll all see this game as a success. Will there be more people who say, "You know what? An outdoor game in Dallas—I might tune in for that," just because of the curiosity for right. it? So, I think, I think that is the final piece of whether this game is a success for long term for the league. Like, I think if you look at just the ticket sales and just the excitement in the two markets. This is open the doors for other non-traditional markets, so-called to host a game like this, but until, but the TV ratings and how many people tune in from outside, is going to probably going to be the big tell of, okay, this worked or this didn't work. I think.
2: Yeah. I I agree with Sean. Even before this game was announced, you look at the teams in the NHL. I think there were maybe seven or eight that had not played in an outdoor game of any kind, not just the winter classic, but the stadium series and Mm -hmm. all of that. and, The common denominator was they were Sunbelt teams, mostly the Florida teams, Dallas, Nashville, Arizona, Vegas, Vegas you can throw. I mean, Columbus was one of those. They're not a Sunbelt team, but, Mm -hmm. you know, throw them in there as well. So I think it was good to 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 have two teams that haven't had this spotlight in the regular season in the game. Um, You know, Sean certainly uh, drew the ire of Maple Leafs fans because everything has to be about (laughs) Toronto in the NHL uh, when you tweeted out that. Yes, the NHL expects more fans from Nashville visiting than any other Winter Classic, and then the Leafs fans jumped in about the game in Ann Arbor. We um,
3: should take it up with the NHL.
2: Yes, they should. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't you report. That wasn't th- those weren't your statistics, but that yeah, was your propaganda. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I, I am I am very interested. Um, you know, from a Predators perspective, they you know that All Star game that they hosted in 2016 was a watershed moment for that franchise. Uh, you know, that was an incredible weekend. You know, of course, the, the John Scott story was you know made for you know made for a movie, and I, I thought it was going to be made into a movie, but it never was. I guess um, I, th- I think they sold the rights, okay, right? Yeah, I but,
3: think he sold the rights to yes, somebody, but it hasn't
2: happened yet. Right. Um, but you know, it was a great story on the ice. You know, the setup was great. Of course, the Stanley Cup final and, and seeing downtown Nashville just flooded with uh, with Predators fans. You know, this is another one of those you know big moments in franchise history, and. I think it will be good, you know, for these teams, you know, quote unquote non traditional teams, which I know is not a phrase that the NHL likes. I know the Predators don't like it. Um, But um, I am very curious to see, as Sean said, to see how the game is viewed outside of the markets that are participating, Um, which, you know, you can always count on certain cities to be tops in the ratings, like Buffalo, for example, or Pittsburgh or what have you. But I'm curious to see where the, the, you know, the highest ratings are per city as well as just an overall number because I do think, you know, if this game is successful, it will open the door for those teams I mentioned that have not played in these games. And if it doesn't, we're going to be uh, condemned to Chicago-Boston Winter Classics for <laughs> eternity because right. they know that yeah. it sells. It sells right. So
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm not sure. Maybe you can kind of speak to this. Yeah. It's Because it, it kind of – it's one of those interesting things where it takes big moments to get more big moments. Yes. Right. Where – this is the big – for Dallas and Nashville, this is the big moment that – I don't think Tampa will ever host an outdoor game, but if Tampa was ever going to get be a part of a game, they need this game to be a success. Yes. You have Vegas, and even with all the success they've had indoors, they probably are rooting for the Stars to have the success for this. For Vegas this.
1: and Nashville seem like the two obvious yes. next, next southern Potent- yes. markets, yeah. right? My They're, hope was that yeah.
2: Nashville was going – It was I, my hope was going to be Nashville – versus Carolina at um, at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. No. That was going to be <laughs> Not the yeah, worst idea, idea I've ever no, heard. No, I've, let's no. get the Southern Markets so, to the NASCAR track. I mean, yeah, that was going to be great. That's so right.
3: Dallas and Nashville were both fortunate in the point where they had the big moments to lead to this big moment. Dallas had the draft, yeah. and they can give the draft to anyone, but Dallas did so well with the draft that The NHL said, okay, we'll go take a tour of the Cotton Bowl. We'll give it a look. Nashville, I believe a lot had to do with how well they did the All-Star game. And obviously the two teams played in the playoffs, but that was after this game had been announced. And so how those two teams kind of had capitalized on the two big national-scale moments and left a feeling with the NHL of, okay, they can handle something like this, has given them an opportunity to say, okay, we can trust a market like this with our marquee event and that's going to be the big test on Wednesday. Obviously who wins or loses this game is going to be big to the two coaches. Yeah. But but in general, the big storyline of this one will be how much does the national attention really care about this? And does it open the door for more things or do we end up seeing the, uh, when I think it's been kind of widely reported that what Minnesota is probably going to get the next yeah. one when Minnesota is the next one, it'll be Chicago as the, as the, as the right. opponent. Right. So,
1: Will, uh, will the viewership dip if people tune in they don't see horses and cowboys and uh, 6 year Well, they will like if they the, turn on the game during the second intermission. Like the yes, promotion? Yes. Oh, good, good, good. Yes. Uh, that's wonderful.
2: The
3: commercials, if you just watch the commercials, you're... You just you're assume. under the impression. Yes. They're, they're
1: really enjoying yes. the fact that we all yes. ride horses to work yes. every day. It, it's, and it's,
3: it's very much sold as a Fort Worth game, actually. Yes, yes.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, come on down <laughs> to the stockyards. Yes. I mean, uh, it also kind of works for Nashville. <laughs> yeah. You know? Hey, kind of. look Less what, horses, I well, think, but well, same idea. Whatever gets the tourism going yes um so what are you guys hearing about the uh, firmness of a uh, one o'clock start in terms of that's always the plan is if weather is problematic we can move this thing to when it uh, the temperature drops or Do you you feel like uh, there's not a massive concern on that front, or are you checking your uh, weather app as we speak? I'm checking something else so Sean can go first. Okay, okay, (laughs) very good. Something (laughs) related to the conversation. Uh, I
3: I mean, I kind of look at the – I do feel like they're obviously going to try and do everything in their power to get everything to that scheduled start at 1 o'clock. One thing that was interesting the other day was we were the other day with the – visiting with the NHL people who are running the ice, they brought up the fact where I think it was whatever year Washington, did Washington, and Chicago play?
2: That's exactly what yes, I was yes, looking yes, up. Cause yes, I was yes, at yes, that yes. winter classic. Yes, it was the, uh, 2015 yes, at so the, nationals yes. park.
3: So the year Washington, and Chicago played sun glare. Yes. They actually went to both the two captains of the team and said, are you guys okay with this game starting at one o'clock? And that was uh, Taves and Ovechkin both said, okay, we're, we're good to go. Obviously I'm sure they conferred with their teams and everything like that. So, I think and I don't think um a, I don't think Jamie Ben is someone who's going to argue with the start time for right. a game. I mean, you can tell me better from a uh, national site. And so I argue think it. if if this got to the point where it was put into the players hands this game starts at 1 and I think there's going to be a huge if as long as it's not raining, I think this game starts at 1. Um yeah. uh, unless there's an extreme sun glare, but based off you look at it's supposed to be over somewhat yeah. overcast, yeah, which is the perfect and, weather for a yeah. winter
2: classic. It's so overcast.
3: I think I think ideally we're looking at hopefully, knock on wood, the best case scenario is maybe it gets to the point where the teams have to switch sides in the third period just yeah. for a slight fairness factor. But other than that, I would like to think we're looking at a start time of one o'clock that makes sense. Now I'm maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, but that's my thoughts on it.
1: The other thing I wanted to ask uh, why we're doing stream of consciousness about the, uh, just the, the way the game is, is happening and the way it came to pass. Someone, I've, I've been asked a few times. That means you've been asked five million times. How did, uh, how did they keep Jerry Jones out of the mix here with the, <laughs> with the Death Star? Because let me, so, be, let me be clear, playing it indoors makes no sense. And I know you can open the roof, but that place even fully open is still feels indoors to me. But at the same time, uh, I would imagine the NHL would have been super excited. To, I don't know. Talk, I, I, talk I, I, me through it.
3: I actually know this story. Please <laughs> so, do. Please so, do. So before the Winter Classic ever became something the, Dallas, the Stars were looking at, this was the the Stars had the best record in the Western Conference of the regular season. And at that time, they started having a conversation with the NHL about, OK, could we play in a stadium series game? which would have meant uh, at Jerry World, uh, down at at and Stadium, whatever it's called. and um, The Death Star. The Death Star. Yes. And a couple things kind of – there's two main things that faltered with it,
2: where as
3: they were planning it and looking into some of these
2: scenarios – um, they didn't want the Cowboys stink on it. So. <laughs> is
3: that it? I it's, mean, fair. Yeah, it's topical, it's, right? It is no, topical. It, it is topical. Has the coach been fired yet? Or uh, is Machota still here? Uh, <laughs> so, not not so, officially, but he knows. So, um, <laughs> but there was the first issue was logistically and financially the Cowboys didn't see the way it would work. That was the first issue. The second issue is, as many people will remember, the Stars went from the best record in the Western Conference, a Game Seven goaltending collapse from playing in the Western Conference Finals, to a complete regular season collapse where they fell off the radar. They really and, did, and they just completely fell. They just fell to anonymity, and that, when you take what happened with the conversation with the Cowboys, and then you take the, um, and you take what happened with the Stars. At that point, the Stars said to the NHL said okay, yeah, we're going to pull back on this one. This, that's why the Jerry World Stadium Series game never really came to life beyond an idea and a couple meetings. Then what happened was Stars got the draft, and the NHL is willing to experiment with the draft more because the draft is, you're going to get attendance because you have, what, 200 kids showing up with five family members each? to yes. yeah. To, so you, you don't really have to worry about attendance for the draft. But the Stars did such a good job with the draft where the NHL said, "Okay, well, we could look at you for another big event, whether that's the Winter Classic, which it became, or another Stadium Series game, or whatever." And so they went through, and they during the draft actually, the NHL went and toured the Cotton Bowl. They came and visited the uh, they visited the Cotton Bowl during the Texas Oklahoma game, and all of that kind of led to the things. Okay, we have this venue. That has historic ties to January 1st. What was it? 2009 was the last time the Cotton Bowl game was played in that building. I think that's about yeah. right. And yeah. so it's a game where Dallasites and fans in Texas are used to. Do you to know see that, Adam?
1: It. The Cotton Bowl isn't played at the Cotton Bowl? I, I learned that recently. <laughs> do you think
2: that's as nuts as we do? It does seem a bit odd. <laughs> yes, yes. You would. You would think I believe okay. there were I believe Memphis played in the Cotton Bowl this year. I, I so think you're exactly there's, right. There's a Tennessee tie to but that. But had
1: Memphis gone to the Cotton Bowl, they would have been at the wrong stadium. Yes, I'm sorry, Sean. So, no, no, no. Continue.
3: <laughs> they uh, so they the Cotton Bowl basically kind of you had this tie and you had the okay. The NHL there was an intrigue of saying, okay, we can bring the Cotton Bowl stadium, not the Cotton Bowl game, the Cotton Bowl stadium back to January first. Um, And why not test it out? We've got this event where we've kind of been forced to use the Chicago Blackhawks and Boston Bruins again like they did the year prior. And all of that kind of came together. And the other big thing that came that was important to this, which is kind of fitting since we had a Cowboys podcast before we set up on this stage, is they needed a game where it was going to be a midweek game. Yes. There was fear that if the they played the winter classic in Dallas on a Saturday or even a Sunday, they probably wouldn't have played it on Sunday. In the past when January first has on a Sunday, they've done it January second. Right. But there was fear that if the Cowboys made Heaven the Heaven forbid yes, the Cowboys yes, oh made yes, the playoffs. Yes. If the Cowboys made the playoffs, <laughs> right. can you go head to head with the Cowboys playoff game that's in the weekend?
1: same stadium? That would be very problematic. <laughs>
3: Yes. So I'd like to see that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. So essentially you had kind of all of these factors come together. It was a, kind of the perfect setup for twenty twenty. Was it January first was a Wednesday? You had the Stars did such a good job with the draft. The Stars looked like a good team when they were discussing this. And then obviously there was a bit of a bet that they were going to continue playing well. And then they the NHL and NBC, who have obviously are big partners on this. They extremely lucked out when Nashville and Dallas played in the first round, and it may have looked scripted almost, but it was the perfect setup for to be able to sell this
2: game. Conspiracy, it was like the frozen envelope. Clearly,
1: clearly. yeah. Yeah, You know, it's it's interesting. I made an NBA reference on an NHL. Well, but before this came to pass, there was some skepticism on could you fill a football stadium for Dallas Stars hockey? Yes, and. Now that it's here and you hear of how easy it was to sell tickets. Now I'm almost wondering, is this is it actually attached to the stars being good or is it more of just an event that people want to be part of? Like, uh, I'm not saying yeah. if these two teams are at the very bottom of the league, surely that would have an interest problem. But assuming they are both league average, at least, is this just a case of a very unique Perhaps once in many many years opportunity to be part of an outdoor game
3: I think it's a combination of those things I think it's a combination of curiosity um, I, I don't think curiosity sells eighty four thousand tickets no no but I, I do think that they're so I think what was their original target they were originally hoping to sell around seventy okay so they've they've kind of sailed over that by fourteen thousand so the fact I think curiosity only has so much of an impact the fact that you have a Nashville fan base. And I think the Nashville fan base does deserve a ton of credit for that traveling. Totally. Proximity. Obviously 20,000 tickets is not, that's nothing to sneeze at. And then you also have the kind of Dallas of as, as the event city where you have people, I think you're going to have. So if we say, I'm trying to do quick math in my head right now, but so say we have 64,000 people that are stars fans, quote unquote, who bought tickets probably of those 64,000, probably about 20% of them are people who aren't hockey fans at all, but said, you know what? This is,
1: that's what I was yeah, wondering. Yeah. Like,
3: this is something that I want just to see
1: sports fan yeah. in this area. Just I'm going to a hockey game. Yeah. Yeah. So it just happens to be outside and mm-hmm. in a football stadium. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> know, and I, I, I assume maybe this is crazy, but I assume some people will be making their NHL debut, uh, as yeah. fans. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me at all. At, at, no. least, at least we could put something to rest. And I'm sure you guys might hear this to a certain extent in Nashville, Adam. But for years and years and years, and I, I got to the city in 98, and so I'm old. But um, <laughs> but, but, just to, just to uh, go back to then, people who didn't care for hockey would often say that there are 20,000 hockey fans in the city. And they're the ones who go to the yeah. games and, and and anybody not at the game isn't really following hockey. And you know, it's 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 football, big brothering hockey and you know yeah. that sort of thing. But I think this does suggest their footprint is much bigger than these cynics would suggest. But I guess we already, already knew that.
2: I mean, I've been I've been in Nashville for close to five five years now, and you know, in terms of professional sports you know the predators are the most popular team in the city in in terms of the in terms of the visibility i mean you see the number of people sitting here with P- predators paraphernalia on you don't see that with the titans you know they they you know they're in the playoffs they're playing the patriots next week a lot of people will watch it but you don't there's not the same you know community yeah feel, for lack of a better term the same sense of community that you feel with the predators fan base and it, it has it has grown exponentially over the past few years as the team has been successful. Um, you know, of course, you know I would venture to say the most popular sports team, and people can shout out if I'm wrong, the most popular sports team, collegiate or professionally, in Nashville is the University of Tennessee football team. So Vanderbilt deserves some love too. But let's not get crazy. Vanderbilt deserves some love too, but. Um, and you know, col- you know, college football in general, the SEC is very popular. Yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of you know driving around town, you know, seeing people wearing you know merchandise, you know, out and about in the grocery store, restaurants, and bars with flags and banners, you definitely see more of the Predators than you do of the Titans. So
1: I, I, I think the I think the Predators for me, the like their story and. The way that the city has embraced them so much, and just the the arena scene, and just everything about it, I I think it's a it's it's a real credit. I mean, it, it, it's it's very impressive. Uh, I I've been, I, I'm sure you've yep. uh, been to every arena. I've I've been to I think 26 NHL venues. I've never been to Nashville, and I feel like I have to get there because it looks. It looks unreal. I, I can't believe I screwed up last year with the draft and the playoffs kind of being there the same week. Uh, but uh, but 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 I'm bad at that. But uh, the
2: draft, the NFL draft, like speaking of events that that was people, too. people watch to see if, you know, I know mm-hmm. it wasn't a Predators event. But the NFL draft was a smashing success in town as well in terms of the number of people who traveled to watch people's names get called. No doubt. You know? yes. No,
1: trust me, you know, attending the draft. It, the the thrill is lost on me. Yes, yes. it is the calling of names, but uh, people want a party. Yeah, I mean they, they, they
2: shut down downtown. I mean the it streets are packed. They, they did they, a really they, great they, job.
3: Didn't they upset a lot of bachelorette parties? They did. Like
2: <laughs> I, you know, there's a famous news clip. I think. I mean, I have to imagine it was not staged, but there's a famous news clip of of a of a local news of a batch of two bachelorettes who were in town who did not realize that they had planned their bachelorette party <laughs> for the same weekend as the NFL draft. And they were very upset about it. That's great. They're like, I didn't know what the NFL draft was. You know, I had to call my husband or something. And he told me that it was the NFL The NFL draft was in town. They also said, uh, they also uh, upset a lot of environmentalists because they had to take, they had to rip up some uh, cherry blossom trees downtown oh, to build the uh, staging uh, for the, for the NFL draft. But you know, Uh, You know, Nashville has shown, you know, in in multiple avenues, it is an entertainment town as well, that they can, you know, both in sports and music, obviously, that they can host these things. And I'm, I'm sure the Predators would be in line to host an outdoor game. You know, it would have to be logistically a stadium series game because they have the Music City Bowl, which was played today, I believe, in Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. So it would not work logistically to build an ice rink there. And there really isn't anywhere else for them to play outdoors, you know, at a stadium. Um, they have Vanderbilt Stadium, but it's it's kind of a dump. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I really, you know, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about before. You know, I, I really, you know, I think the atmosphere for this game is going to be incredible. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, but I, I'm, more, I'm more focused on, you know, how the, the nation at large
1: grasps onto it. All right. uh, How how would you like to do this, Ken? Should we uh, shoot? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. If you have a question for the panel, uh, you can certainly be part of this if you'd like to be. uh, If you're brave enough to uh, offer a question or whatever you want, we'll get a microphone to you and the hockey wise men can answer. We think. Tell us your name, where you're from. (laughs) All those things.
3: Hi, Sean. Oh, hi. Hi, Hey, Bob.
1: Hey, man. What's up?
3: Hey, new guy.
2: Hey. That's Adam. That's Adam. Nice to meet you.
3: Hey, Adam. Adam, say hello to the group.
2: Hi, everybody.
1: <laughs> hey. All right, now we all know each other. <laughs> yes. I'm the bang guy. Uh, yes, you are.
0: <laughs> uh, Monty.
3: Yes. What happened?
1: Oh, Sean, have you ever been asked this question? Only uh,
3: five million times. Yeah, I had to
1: ask. He had to ask.
3: I, will, I Do you will have say- any public comments on this, Sean? <laughs> I will say this. If I knew... If I knew exactly what happened with Jim Montgomery, everyone else would know. If I if I, if I knew exactly what happened,
2: um, I would like the story if you don't mind, because not not not, not of what happened to Jim Montgomery. No, I, not the story of Jim Montgomery, but you know, similarly to we've talked about, you know, the coming together of you know Jim Light's call, it, you know, Jim, yes. the Jim Light's interview. I'd like to know just you know your reaction to the news that Jim Montgomery was fired like you know you know <laughs> how did that how did you process that when it first so came so you across talk about fire?
3: something that's completely out of the blue um it was the stars are playing the vegas golden knights that night i'm actually taking the train downtown at that point i'm taking the dart um and about i believe the press release came out at nine thirty, and i got a text they got a couple texts at like nine twenty nine, nine twenty eight, <laughs> literally like, right before. Of like, wow, something is crazy is about to happen, and they uh, just completely out of the blue um, with Jim Montgomery. Kind of the most, kind of the weirdest thing about the Jim Montgomery firing because we're in this stage right now where multiple NHL coaches have been fired this season, right? Yes, Mike Babcock, Bill Peters, things like that, where for weird reasons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And obviously, the Babcock firing was not for weird off ice reasons, but then weird off ice things That's kind right, of happened. But- Rose later, yeah. but with those other firings, there was this kind of cloud that people had to were kind of fighting through. With Babcock, it was had he lost the room, had he uh, whatever it was, mm-hmm. he needed to go. With Peters, obviously, there was the much bigger issue of his of his history and his comments, and with Montgomery, there was the there was really nothing like that. Like even, even with about week and a half prior, he had publicly said he needed more from Jamie, Ben and Tyler Sagan, which wasn't actually that big of a deal considering the history of this franchise and calling out Jamie, Ben and Tyler. <laughs> That's Sagan. true.
2: So the precedent <laughs> had been set. So
3: the, so there wasn't and, and he had even buried the hatchet with Jamie and Tyler. So there wasn't really much of a issue that needed to be buried. And so, with Montgomery, there wasn't kind of this whole history that like, OK, well, we need a change. And so that's kind of probably the most surprising thing about it. And, and there's also not any, uh, for lack of a better word, there's nothing where you take a look at his history and how he handled players or how anything like that. I haven't had a single conversation with a player where they've said, yeah, he needed to go. That's that's I haven't had a single conversation with a player about that. And they're talking about his him as a coach. They're not yes, talking about yes. whatever happened. They're talking about him as a coach. I have not had a single conversation in that regard where it's like, okay, he needed to go. So for that reason, it was complete blind side of things. Um, the other thing, just kind of about this, that just is the most fascinating about this, and I'm sure it'll come out eventually because at some point, Jim Montgomery is going to want to coach hockey again, and. If Jim Montgomery is going to coach in the NHL or college or wherever it is, he is going to have to address what happened. And whether that is, whether he gives the full details or a snippet or whatever it is, at some point that's going to have to come out and he's going to have to address it. And then that's when he can start to rehabilitate his image or whatever he needs to do. And so until that happens, I don't think it's going to come out because there is... The amount of people in the past two weeks that have told me they have a friend of a cousin of a sister who told they know something who happened. I've heard 60,000 stories. Yeah. Like it's been (laughs) it's it's been I could I could there's a crazy
1: amount like it's it's hardly surprising. though, Right. Because because everybody does want to know if only if only to kind of. Yeah. Feel like the stars didn't yeah. do something yeah. dumb themselves yeah. by by dismissing a coach that I, people genuinely like.
3: I, I do think this I do think this is the one of the biggest factors. Um whatever whatever you think about the moral code that was obviously Jim Nill is someone who tries to hold himself to a higher moral code. A higher moral code, though, does not align with what a HR and legal department require. So for for an HR and legal department to get this on a Monday night, and then by Tuesday by seven a.m. to say we are going to terminate a contract with cause, yeah, clearly something happened that cannot be that was that was that type that was it was that bad. And um, and, and, and it yeah. can't be
1: hearsay. It can't be hearsay. It, it's got to be something. It, it's so, got to be yeah. A, a, so it's, a lead pipe yeah. Uh, cinch.
3: Yes. So it's I. It, it's one of those things where. If I knew what happened and I had 100% fact on what happened, I would have written it. And that's kind of the most frustrating thing about all of this because I get asked it all the time. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you, are we surprised that Jim Montgomery hasn't surfaced to speak on his own behalf at this point yet? Or... I,
3: I think Jim Montgomery speaking right now wouldn't do him the best. I think Jim Montgomery, if you're Jim Montgomery and you're advising Jim Montgomery of how do I get back into coaching and – Something, whatever it is happened.
1: There's a lay low period. There's a
3: lay low period. And then you come out six months, seven months later and say, hi, everyone. Here's what I did. I went and got X help, Y help. I did this. I am now a better person. Until him coming out now just becomes, turns into he said, he said, he said. And so I think for him to, for Jim Montgomery's best interest, if he wants to turn this into coaching again, he needs to come out and, and show he did something. Right. That he he did something to make up for whatever he did.
1: Uh, uh, we have time for one or two more questions. Yeah. If somebody wants yeah. to, we, uh, yeah. we'll wrap it up here in five minutes or so. But here, get away from the speaker there. You there. There you All go. Right. Hey, Hi, Tommy. Hello. Hi, Tommy. Hi, uh, Tommy. Hi, Tommy.
3: Before the coach got fired, what's the one or two things – y'all here, and even you here, when you go to another city about the team, what do they want to know about the team? Like, what's the constant question they get,
2: whether it's a player,
3: system, whatever? About the stars in general? Stars, predators, yeah. What's the question you always do? Do you first?
2: I have to think on that. Why okay, okay, right? I'll
3: go first. I mean, I think there's, there's kind of two things. The first one that comes up that all, that we'll go to a city and we'll talk to people, and whether it's scouts or coaches or players, is, I get two questions. I get the first one is, holy cow, this and kid is incredible. And what's it like to watch him on a on a nightly basis? Because that he is really someone that people pay attention to and look at as a future Norris Trophy candidate. The other one that comes up quite often that I get from scouts and other coaches and things like that is what happened to Jamie Ben. That's that's, that's <laughs> that that's, was that's, my first guess. Yes, no, and that that's, that's <laughs> yeah. and, and that comes up quite often. And we see, for example, we see the version of Jamie Ben the other night in Arizona, right? And we see that come out, and that's the version of Jamie Ben that was in the conversation for best player in the world. And one of the – I think there was – even the year he won the Art Ross, he was only the second team left wing on the NHL All-Star team. But there was two other years he was the first team left wing in the NHL. And so you kind of get those questions of what happened to Jamie Ben? where has he gone. Um, those are the two biggest things I get from a Dallas perspective. Um, I mean, what do you – want about Nashville? Well, first Nashville? I want yeah. to
2: say that I remember – You know the 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 season finale the year Jamie Ben won the Art Ross was against Mm -hmm. Nashville in Dallas and they think he needed what five points to win Uh, uh, four or five points to win it he he, he came in
3: he came in because it was it was dependent on Tavares' points that night and Mm -hmm. so he needed he ended up needing four at the end of the night yeah so
2: so you know the Stars were not making the playoffs the Predators were in so the game was basically meaningless but it was fun to watch Jamie Ben. And I think he got it on an empty netter, didn't he? Empty net assist to uh, Cody, Cody Egan. Egan. Yeah, Cody yes. Egan. <laughs> funny how we remember these things. But honestly, you know, it's funny because the first thing that popped into my mind, you're talking about on ice stuff. You know, the fa- the question I get a lot from, you know, other media. And and other you know hockey people is, is about PK Subban. Like I honestly do get he's a lot a, of questions he, about he's, PK he's, Subban. He's in New Jersey now. Yes, I know. <laughs> but that, but that, what I mean Boy, is, but what know. I but what I mean is is that <laughs> when PK was traded to Nashville, you know there were a lot of stories about how he had worn out his welcome in Montreal. That he cared more for his brand than he did the Canadians. Logo on his chest and all of that stuff. Not that
1: not that dissimilar than when Sagan came here from right. Boston. Yes. We heard tons of the same right. thing. So
2: a lot of the question I get a lot is whether or not the same thing happened in Nashville uh, that PK had you know basically you know worn out his welcome and, and you know the Predators were doing whatever they could to to trade him because you know that's you know because when you look at the return for example it was not a great return it was mostly about cap space but anyway. You know my experience with PK Subban. I think the three. I think three years was a good amount of time. Like there, there had to be. There was. There is kind of a shelf life. I think with PK Subban, and I think the organization did a really good job of, you know, combining their you know philanthropic efforts with his and and promoting him the blue line the blue line buddies program that he came up with where he would link. You know, underprivileged youth with local police officers was a really great idea. They've continued to do it after he left. He does it now in New Jersey. But I get a lot of questions about, you know, when when he was in the Stanley Cup final with the Listerine stuff with with Sidney Crosby and all of that, and whether or not his teammates hated him. And I never got that sense. Look, PK Subban is a little extra. We all know that. Okay, but. You know, I never got the sense that they were happy to
1: drive. You know, they were going to drive uh, him to the airport when he left. But I mean, this has always been my theory about yeah. the NHL. I mean, I love the sport, but so many of our players are dull. Yes,
2: yes. And so when someone so if out, someone has yeah. any
1: personality whatsoever, yes, the whole hockey world stops and we. I don't know. It's it, it's it's very. This goes back decades. Unfortunately, I remember Jeremy Roenick when he was first in Chicago. People could not handle a guy actually saying something that might be interesting, and and you know, so they would the, the freakout factor. And I see Sagan and and and, and Subban uh, on, on on somewhat similar levels, and and I know they're not exactly the same, but they are two guys that don't mind coloring outside the lines a little bit you yeah. know and I, I just I just hate how the hockey world has to freak out about that so much because if you equate it to football or basketball they're both walks in the park yes. I mean there's well, nothing to it
3: they're they're two, they're two guys both Sagan and Subin actually they're both two guys that handle themselves and market themselves like NBA players. Yeah. If, if, if you look at it by comparison, Tyler Sagan has his own brand. He has his own logo. You can buy a Tyler Sagan branded hat. That is not common for the NHL. Can you buy a PK Subban yes. branded hat? Okay. Yes. yes I'm can. sure you can. I bet but, you can. I'm going to go but, out on a limb. You Atlanta. might be yes, able
2: it. to buy a PK Subban branded engagement ring here in a minute. I'm <laughs> <That's know>. fantastic
1: <laughs> too.
0: I'm sure you saw the news I that Lindsey Vonn gave Yes,
2: we did. Absolutely. So.
1: <laughs> anyway. So. No, it's a it's it's a really interesting, uh, real interesting scene to see what uh, you're asked out of town. Do we have one more? Does anybody want to? How about the Nashville question, yes.
2: Mr. Ted?
1: Who's got a, got a Nashville? Go, we got we
3: got
2: someone right over here. Oh, there's <laughs> Mr. Ted. <laughs> Mr. Ted.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
3: So you're not allowed to make an appearance at him without mentioning Eli Tolvanen. Yes. Um, is he ever coming up from Milwaukee? That is actually
2: a question I get. Right. That actually ties well to the previous question. I do get a lot of questions about Eli Tolvanen. I get questions about Eli Tolvanen. You do.
3: Yeah. I get I get questions about whether the Stars should have drafted Jake Ottinger or Eli Tolvanen. <laughs> yeah. <So> it's up. <laughs> you know it's it, you know it's, it is very interesting.
2: Um, you know the Predators have not had. The you know, for as well as they've drafted and developed defensemen, they have not had the same luck drafting and developing forwards, yeah. Um, and you know, Ellie Tolvanen, man, that kid had a hype train attached to him when oh he came God. over, and for good reason. I mean, he he was you know, set rookie records in the KHL, he played well at the Olympics, he was fine, he was fine at the World Juniors. Um, we can't relate, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think. I think and the organization I think believes this as well that you know those expectations sort of set him up to fail just because they were so high that there was really no way that he could realistically meet them. And then you look at his numbers in the AHL, I think he's got 7 goals and 14 points so far this season. You know, he gained like 20 pounds of muscle this summer, you know, got leaner, you know, worked on his skating, you know, but everyone expected him to tear up the AHL and immediately come to the NHL. And that hasn't happened yet. And I, I you know, he's still young, I think 19 or 20. So there's still time, but you know, I, I do think it speaks to a larger problem that the predators have. I mean, you look at their roster, you look at some of the players, you know, that are key contributors to them at forward. You no, know, Ryan Johansson was a trade. Victor Ironton was drafted and developed by the organization, Philip Forsberg, was trade was a trade acquisition, but he was basically developed by the yeah. Predators. Um, you know, you look. You know, Matthew Shane was a trade acquisition. I mean, you look at some of the other players. I mean, Colton Sissons was was drafted and developed. Austin Watson. Um, you know, but they haven't really had too many star forwards that they drafted and they developed. And I, I you know, it is worth diving into. Um, and you wonder if Ellie told you know. I think the perfect example is Kevin Fiala. You know, Kevin Fiala was a, you know, top 10 or 11 draft pick. All the potential in the world could not put it together. And was that a product of him? Or is that a product of the Predator, way the Predators develop forwards? You know he's been a solid forward for Minnesota. Right. Um, you know, does so does that speak to a problem that the Predators have? Is Ellie Tolvanen slated to be the next Kevin Fiala? Or is he going to be more like Victor Arvidsson and Philip Forsberg one day? But, you know, I'm actually planning. Uh, I'm actually going to Milwaukee next week, so I'm sure I will talk to Ellie then. Yes, Milwaukee in January. It's the perfect (laughs) place to be. Say hello Uh, to my good friend Carl Taylor. Yes. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, I do get a lot of questions about Ellie in terms of – like from this previous question about people I get asked about a lot, Ellie Tolman does come up with.
1: Well, we are getting the wrap-it-up, gentlemen, so we uh, certainly appreciate – uh, you guys being part of this, and we certainly appreciate all of you for coming out yes, here. Yes, thanks for coming. Thank you so We really hope you. Uh, you enjoy your winter classic experience, and uh, we hope you continue to enjoy the athletics. So, for uh, Adam and Sean, I'm Bob. Uh, thanks for uh, being part of this and uh, enjoy the game.
0: As promised, that was tremendous. Thanks again to Bob Sturm. Sean Shapiro and Adam Vingen for helping us out on Two Man Advantage with a little bonus content as we bring in the end of 2019 and welcome 2020 from the Winter Classic in Dallas. And here's hoping to everyone that uh, you have a terrific and bountiful and safe 2020.